back. Uh, I always like preaching at Cross Lanes, obviously, because nobody's ever going to give me any grief for how good I do. But on top of that, I really uh, enjoy filling this pulpit. Uh, it's a, a very big one to fill, uh, but one I respect and one I'm, I'm thankful for, definitely. Uh, also thankful for God's work at Cross Lanes over the last 60 years, for which we've been here for, for 16. And, and I, I just want to thank you as a church family, not only as my personal church family, but as a sending body for uh, the faithfulness that you have expressed uh, as, as believers and co-laborers in the gospel. And I'm excited for the work that Cross Lanes will continue to do uh, through the coming years to all the different people that are going uh, to come through here. A little bit of an update on my ministry and work. He already gave you the role, the position, all those different types of things. Bottom line, we're still serving in the same place, but there's more of us. We're serving better together. Uh, we've seen 11 salvations in the last two weeks. People are responding. People are new people are, are, are engaging with uh, the plant. Uh, and though it is slow, though it is a young work, and though it is definitely, definitely a tough work, because of the place we are in and the people we are working with, it is definitely a fruitful work. And that's something I'm thankful for. For, something I'm excited about and something I want you to be excited about because you are a part of this as a partner in sending church with Next Level Church of Tuscaloosa. Tonight, I'll be preaching on this subject, a radical love for all peoples, and we'll be reading from Acts 17, verses 16 through 34. But before we interact with Scripture, I would like to pray for our time together. God, we are in awe of the mission that you have set before us. We're thankful for the role that we have as participants in that mission. And tonight I would pray that as we interact with your word and as we seek you from your holy scriptures, that you would give us clarity as to what you would have us to glean from these pages. But more than that, more than a, than a knowledge more than an understanding that you would give us a motivation to apply what we hear, what we learn, what we see from your word, that other people would be reached and that a radical love of the nations would be not a concept, but rather uh, a, a, a force, but rather an application of God's people to bring others into the kingdom. We thank you for the hope of the gospel. We thank you for this time that we have together, this community of believers, and I pray that you would remove any hindrance from me, any sin from this body, and any distraction from this time so that we can approach you with a clear head and clear heart. In Jesus' name, amen. The book of Acts is a record of happening, the happenings of the church after the ascension of Jesus. The Acts of the Apostles that are uh, recorded in this book by Luke provide a proving ground in the public arena for this new faith of Christianity. This proving, as we find in Scripture, lit a fire, and that fire burned through the ages into our current age, where now the church persists as an ever-growing and ever-dominant spiritual body, religious body, on the face of of the earth. The gospel spread from people to people, from nation to nation, as new disciples found their purpose in the mission of Jesus Christ. Now, where we're coming from specifically this evening is Acts chapter 17, and Acts 17 is right sandwiched in between Paul's first and second mission, first and third missionary journeys. So this encapsulates 16, 17, 18, encapsulate his second missionary journey in an effort to make his way to Rome to bring the gospel to the known world. 
In Acts chapter 16, Paul is imprisoned in Philippi with Silas after planting the first church in Europe, the church of Philippi, whom the book of Philippians is written to. Paul and Silas then move on to Thessalonica, where they are persecuted and only serve a short while. They move forward to Berea in the first part of Acts 17, where there's a fruitful work, but actually Paul serves as a, as a distraction within that work. So while Silas and Timothy stay behind in Berea, Paul goes forward to Athens to wait for them and continue the ministry on their joining of him later on. And our passage begins with the presence of Paul in a foreign city among people who had not yet been encou- who had not yet encountered the gospel of Jesus, the radical message of reconciliation. Acts 17, beginning in verse 16, says this. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was troubled within him when he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with those who worship God and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Then also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers argued with him. Some said, what is this pseudo-intellectual trying to say? Others replied, he seems to be a preacher of foreign deities because he was telling of the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and brought him to the Areopagus and said, May we learn about this new teaching you're speaking of. For what you say sounds strange to us, and we want to know what these ideas mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners residing there spent their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new. Then Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I found even an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in shrines made by hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath, and all things. From one man he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. He did this so they might seek God, and perhaps they might reach out and find him, although he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Being God's offspring, then, we shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human art and imagination. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some began to ridicule him. But others said, we'd like to hear from you again about this. Then Paul left their presence. However, some men joined him and believed, including Dionysius the Areopagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. 
why is this passage about Paul's presentation of the gospel in a foreign city applicable applicable to the modern believer? Well, the reason Paul shared in such a variety of contexts was because of Jesus' commands in three separate places in the New Testament to do so. The first passage everyone in here should or probably is familiar with, the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Then Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. Mark 16, 15 contains a, a similar uh, command where Jesus says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. And Acts 1, 8 is the final record of this this presentation where Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Each of these contains a variation of the same phrase, which actually means different things when read in the original languages where each of them are found. In the, the Great Commission, all nations is, is ethne, all kinds of peoples, all groups of peoples. The whole creation in Mark 16 is everything in the creation. So every individual, every person. And Acts 1.8, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth is every single place, all places on earth. The believer today, like Paul, is to take the gospel of Jesus Christ, to take the message that a broken people has given the opportunity to repair a relationship with a holy God if they are only to believe in the sacrifice of God-made man, the perfect Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. If we are only to believe that, we are to take that message to all people of all kinds in all places, that they may come to a saving knowledge of Jesus and enter, enter the kingdom of heaven when all things have ended, having lived their lives for his glory and purposes. Now, doing this specifically in a foreign context among foreign peoples is probably a challenging idea for many of us. Before I had engaged with that that realm of, of missional work, it was challenging for me. Language barriers, expense, sense of danger, or maybe just discomfort with something different or the unknown can drive us to diminish or reduce the perceived need for evangelism wherever it is needed. But when these people move into our backyard, the divide seems to deepen. The influx of foreign-born persons and a growing plurality of, our, uh, of culture in our corner of the globe in these United States has not led to a heightened awareness of lostness, but rather a myriad of political objections and the ostracization of those peoples which are in fact lost and in need of a savior politics aside when we discard the need for gospel influence among all people from all places we discard the very gospel itself and create for ourselves a small god mindset And when our mindset is this small, we do two things. First, we ignore the clear and unavoidable command of God in Scripture through Jesus to engage all peoples with the hope of the gospel. But beyond that, we limit the work of the church. 
uh, several years ago, I had the opportunity, I'll call it, to spend a July summer in East Alabama in an untold amount of degrees. It was ridiculously hot building a fence. And we built a barbed wire fence, five-strand barbed wire fence that was held together or supported by metal fence posts that we stuck as stakes in the ground. Now, one of the days it rained near the bank of the creek that we were building this fence toward, and one of the fence posts started to sag. But the funny thing was the fence didn't stay up, even though all of the other fence posts were holding their line, all the other fence posts were doing what they needed to do for our specific purpose. The one that didn't pulled down the barbed wire in that section and caused a weakness that would have defeated the entire purpose of this fence, which was to keep the cattle in. What's the application? When we are not faithful to obey the taking of the gospel to peoples of other backgrounds, whether they be here or whether they be to the ends of the earth, what we do is we pull down that fence, that purpose of the church, and we create a weakness. The church as a whole is not to to blame for what has happened in the United States if we're talking about secularization or lostness. It's each individual person being obedient to share the gospel. When our mindset is this small, we limit the church. We as believers, we as Cross Lanes Baptist Church or Next Level Church, we as the church at large want to avoid a narrow mindset about the mission of God, obey the commands of God, and be faithful to the call both the Apostle Paul and we have received. We want to exhibit a radical love for the nations and for all peoples through word and deed. And the most radical love we can exhibit is our taking of the gospel to those who need it wherever they may be found. The call to go and love is as important and real now as it was 2,000 years ago. And obedience on that front is bearing fruit now. Uh, Cross Lanes Baptist Church and uh, Southern Baptist Convention are now currently in what is uh, called the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. And, and this offering, this time of not only giving but of prayer for North American missions, is what provides half of the budget for the North American Mission Board. The North American Mission Board supports over 5,000 missionaries. And your contribution and prayer to, contribution to and prayer for this offering of that goes to the support of missions, the support of taking the gospel to all people of all kinds from all places right here in the United States. On top of that, Cross Lanes Baptist Church is personally supporting Pastor McLean at Hagerstown Church in Hagerstown, Maryland, uh, Pastor Emilio, uh, the Hispanic work, the Hispanic church plant in Indianapolis, uh, Next Level Church in Tuscaloosa uh, with me and Pastor Theron Hawkins and Michael Farmer with with Risen City in Charleston. We're having opportunities to engage all kinds of people, all kinds of peoples uh, in different parts of the United States, uh, north and south, as far as we can touch. Cross Lanes is having an impact by not having a small mind, but rather inserting themselves into the mission to the peoples with the gospel right here where we are. Understanding the contextual situation of this passage in Acts and the relevance of it to us as believers in this special season of the Annie Armstrong offering, I wish to share with you from God's Word three characteristics of radical love for all peoples which will inform how we are to serve the nations at home. 
And we'll see this through Paul's example in Athens. These are practical applications of the how for missions in light of the why we have just discussed. And I love this passage. I could preach it 10 different ways if you gave me 10 different times to do it. But tonight we're going to choose this one. A radical love, firstly, for the nations begins as a burden. Paul's focus initially as a missionary, as the greatest missionary, but also as the chief catalyst for the church at that time, was to expand the reaches of the early church to important and influential cities. And from there, the arm of the church could extend and grow and become stronger as it grasped and reached into the known world. The known world at this time largely being the Roman Empire, which expanded all the way from from Europe to parts of northern Africa and Asia. This was a sprawling empire, places where uh, people were scattered to different parts of where people knew people could be. And Paul wanted to bring the gospel there. And he did it by using these important cities. Philippi that we discussed in the first part uh, of chapter 16 was a major military city in, in Macedonia. Thessalonica was the capital city of Macedonia. Uh, uh, The church at Corinth, which we would find in in chapter 18, ends up being a massively influential political and economic city in Greece. Athens was special at this time, and a lot of times mythologically we think of how impactful Athens was at different parts of history, but in this part of Scripture, Athens was not the city that it once was. Economically, it wasn't the same kind of influence, and Politically, it didn't have the same kind of influence. So why would Paul stay? Why engage peoples who are not as important or influential in his grander mission and grander strategy? Well, Paul had two reasons he stayed and investigated. The first was it's a grand city and a thinking city. What did the, what did the Athenians sit around and do all day? Verse 21, now all the Athenians and the foreigners residing there spent their time on nothing else but telling and hearing something new. They were thinking, they were trying to process new ideas and, and new ideologies. And this led to a very rich and very deep culture that was steeped in beautiful architecture and, and a very deep uh, liter- literary canon of, of philosophical works and scientific works and works just for the purpose of entertainment. All of these different things contributed to a very grand and beautiful city. And I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure when Paul went and stayed and waited for Timothy and Silas, he didn't sit in his room until they showed up. He was going around the city. It says he was walking to the marketplace. He was looking at what was happening around him, and he recognized that it was a grand and thinking city. But verse 16 tells us that what was on the surface was not what was below. Scripture says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was troubled within him when he saw that the city was full of idols. America is no different. Where we live is no different. We are a grand and thinking society on the forefront of new ideologies, on the forefront of new developments and what humanity decides to be the standard by which we live. But beneath the shiny surface and beneath what would and continues to be the global standard for what success and the dream is, we find a depraved city, a depraved land full of idols. 
Paul recognized, as we should, that in the midst of a place known for great human importance in matters of spirituality and philosophy, in the midst of immense human good and intelligence, there was an absence of Jesus and gospel transformation. The scripture said this troubled his spirit. Paul's famous sermon and presentation to the people was prompted by a burdening of his spirit for the lost in a wildly lost land. How can we have the same sensitivity to the needs of men and women of varying backgrounds here at home who will die daily to hell if we are not to participate in their engagement with the Savior? Well, first, verse 16 would tell us we have to look where they are. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was troubled within him when he saw Last year, I was on a plane uh, to Dallas, Texas from Atlanta and had the opportunity to sit next to uh, a man from Mexico that was actually living in Texas working for uh, some prominent energy companies. And he cycled through as, a, as some sort of, uh, of contractor. And um, he was tall like I was, and neither one of us could get to sleep because we couldn't find a position that was going to allow us to be comfortable. So we eventually just started talking. And when we talked, I noticed that he was very restless with, the, with the, the language that he used. He was very restless when he talked about his job. He was very restless when he talked about his life. And the man couldn't have been any more than six or seven years older than I was. So I asked him, I said, do you have any kind of faith? Are you a religious person at all? And he said he was uh, a Catholic, but he, when he talked deeper about what he thought was going to save him, he talked about the level to which his actions were going, the good actions were going to outweigh his bad actions. His entire life was a recognition of a grand void that he could not fill himself, so he sought to seek it with other things, a better job with more money, traveling to different places. He was on his way uh, to Russia for the World Cup. There were different things where he was trying to fill his life with entertainment or, or money or his career. And in all of those different things, he recognized but could not identify a spiritual void. Now, I recognize this by looking at the guy next to me on an airplane and starting a conversation. All I had to do was look in very much the same way if we are going to be burdened for the people around us, all the kinds of peoples around us, we're going to be burdened for their salvation. It is necessary that we look, we take the first step to engage them and recognize the need that they have, the immense spiritual lostness they have, and ultimately the desire they have to fill their lives with something of which there is only a Jesus-shaped peace. Second, we have to listen to what they believe. What did Paul do when he recognized the spiritual lostness around them, when he observed the spiritual lostness around them? Well, it says he reasoned in the synagogue and with those who worship God and in the marketplace. He listened to what they believe engaged them. Listening gives us insight into the spiritual activity of a people. And we see different kinds of peoples around us. Oftentimes our first response is not to engage and put ourselves in an uncomfortable situation where differences or possible conflict might arise. It's rather the opposite, to go silent. An unsubstantiated, fearful silence gets us nowhere in the evangelical mission that we have before us. 
Lostness is only abated when we act upon the loss, the, the, the void that we recognize, when we act upon what we've seen, and we listen and engage with the people that we, that we observe, observe have this spiritual lostness. First, we look where they are. Second, we listen to what they believe. And third, we leverage our platform. What do we do every day? Some of us go to school. I go to the gym. I play basketball. I lift. <laughs> Some of us go to work. We go to eat. We may go see our friends. We may go entertain ourselves some way. Every single day, we generally have a pattern where we recognize and interact with the sim similar or same groups of people over and over and over and over again. But I want to ask you a question. Are you putting yourself in situations where you are finding people, giving yourself a platform from which you can engage lost people for Christ? Is your bubble so small and constricted that you don't interact with anyone who doesn't know Jesus? Or maybe it's few people that, that don't know Jesus, or, or maybe it's just people that have resigned themselves to not believing in the message you have. Whatever the case may be, are you putting yourself in situations, are you putting yourself in environments where you can engage lost folks for Christ? I've it, and I am in a unique situation with the University of Alabama, but I've had the opportunity to play soccer with people from Bangladesh and Sri Lanka. I've had the, the opportunity to, to get gas from uh, Middle Easterners who, who own these gas stations on the corner in the area that we have our church in. I eat lunch with people from North Africa and the Middle East every day. We have all these opportunities, if only we are to put ourselves there and leverage our platform, leverage our environment in order to pull people in to Christ. Leveraging gives us opportunity for spiritual conversations with a people or with individuals. Now Paul went to the Areopagus, a philosophical arena, a place where every single day there were debates as to what the new ideas were or the new religious systems of faith were. Paul created a unique platform for himself because he put himself in the place where he knew he would find sinners, lost people, and he decided to interact with them on their plane. He put himself in their field. He positioned himself in order to share the gospel. By looking to where a person is, listening to what they believe, and willingly responding to the door opening of the Holy Spirit in order to leverage our platform, whether that be at home or abroad for the benefit of the nations, we will be sensitive to the reality of their spiritual situation and will be positioned to share effectively with them when the time comes. Listen to this. Active awareness of the world around you can only alert you to lostness. Lostness can only produce a spiritual burden for all peoples. And a burden can only develop a radical love for the people scattered across the earth in need of Jesus. I'm going to say that again. Active awareness of the world around you can only alert you to lostness. Lostness can only produce a spiritual burden for all peoples. And a burden can only develop a radical love for the people scattered across the earth in need of Jesus. If we are obedient to look 
to listen and to leverage our platforms, we will develop this burden. There is no other option but to feel a heavy weight for the lost people of the world and have an overwhelming desire to go and tell. A radical love for the nations begins as a burden and shares with a story. Why are stories important? Stories connect us with other real people living real lives in real places just like us. And this relatability can produce a powerful emotional and experiential bond between uh, the person telling the story and the person listening to the story. A lot of my passion for missions comes from people telling me stories about missions. I can remember as early as I could remember anything about anything. I remember Maxine Bumgarner telling me stories, a lady faithfully in this church that passed on, telling me stories about Lottie Moon, telling me about these missionaries who had gone and given their absolute all, their lives, their families, their, their resources, every single thing for the purpose of the gospel. And the stories of Scripture and the stories of faithful Christians become catalysts for us to respond and share our own story with others. Paul shares with the Athenians through story. Our radical love from all peoples is derived from a radical love by God for us. And that story has to be shared in a special way when we're dealing with individuals from cultures who do not know who Jesus is. When we share the story of God's radical love in the context of an unreached people, we share first a contextualized story. Context is the stuff around your main point. And if people don't understand what you're you're talking about or where you're coming from, they're not going to get the main message. An example would be the University of Alabama has 17 national championships. If we're talking about winning in college football, I would happen to have context for what that means. (laughs) I would happen to know exactly what we're talking about because we're coming from a place that I know about. Other programs may not have that. Now, that's a silly example, but when we're talking about sharing a story, if we're going to share Jesus with the nations, with those peoples that are around us, a far more important discussion than athletics or entertainment, there, there has to be context. And Paul contextualizes this message by doing a couple different things. He identifies their station in verse 22 and 23 and recognizes their understanding of a deeper need. He recognizes they're seeking after a God even though they don't know that God's name. Uh, Verses 24 through 27, Paul speaks in terms they'll understand, terms of the natural world, the scientific world, and logically puts that together. And in verse 28, he quotes one of their poets, Aratus. And by relating to the audience and contextualizing the story of Jesus, Paul is able to capably introduce a foreign people to the hope of the gospel. And this contextualized story boils over into a compelling story, an urgent story where uh, people are offered an extreme love in the light of extreme need. And Paul's presentation of the compelling, incredible story of God's radical love for us is a model that we need to look toward. Scripture tells us a radical love for all peoples is necessary for the believer in the church. And being equipped with the most effective manner with which to proclaim the name of Jesus allows us to give legs to this love. When we're obedient to act on the burden of our spirit, God provides the tools through his Holy Spirit and his word to tell a story of Jesus anywhere from Tuscaloosa to Thailand, which will transform lives for God's glory. 
a radical love for, the, for all peoples begins as a burden, shares with a story, and lastly rejoices at response. Scripture tells us that there were three responses in Athens the day that Paul preached. Verse 32, some, some laughed him off. They began to ridicule him. They thought the idea of the resurrection was foolish. Some wanted to hear more. Some were interested. They said, we'd like to hear from you again about this. But some, some believed. Dionysius believed. Damaris believed. And others believed. Now, this is not a huge harvest in terms of, of New Testament church. I mean, at one point, at points, we've seen 3,000 people come at one time. And this lists two and maybe a few others. However, it's important all the same. We must cultivate a missionary lifestyle where our greatest joy is the ultimate glorification of God, the redemption of a believer into the family of God. However someone responds, we keep obeying and we rejoice at the work that God is doing. Keep on sharing. If the response is the first response, we can rejoice in the fact that God is not mocked and he'll take care of the first response, the ridiculing response in his own time. If it's the second kind of response, if it's a we want to hear more of this later type of response, then we can rejoice that God is working in that person to convict them of their sin and show them the powerful reality of Jesus. And if it's the third type of response, then we can praise God that the, the hosts of heaven are rejoicing at the redemption of another child. That they're rejoicing at a new salvation. And we can see that God's redemptive plan is coming to a head with one person following after him. In all circumstances, we can rejoice. Rejoicing in the work of God in the lives of people, wherever their response falls on the spectrum of, of possible responses, allows us to buy in fully to God's work among peoples across the globe. We should be ecstatic that the work of Jesus isn't only happening in cross lanes, isn't only happening in, in West Virginia. It's, it's happening everywhere. Millions are being touched by the gospel every single day, not only here, not only in the United States, not only North America, but to the ends of the earth. People of all colors, creeds, and categories are being engaged with Jesus daily. We should be excited. A radical love for all people seeks the believing response of the scattered masses and acts on such a desire as often as the opportunity arises. A radical love for all peoples will produce a radical dedication to faithful proclamation of the gospel to all people of all kinds and all places to the glory of God. This love begins as a burden, shares with a story, and rejoices at response. You are a missionary. I am a missionary. Cross Lanes Baptist Church, West Virginia, Next Level Church. We are full of missionaries. This is an entire army of missional peoples dedicated to the work of God. We are a part, by command and participation in the local church, of a global movement for the gospel. Be faithful to take this calling seriously and serve as God leads. Perfect timing. I would be remiss if we were to talk about God's love for all peoples, a, 
a redeeming work that he sovereignly started and that he will sovereignly complete. I would be remiss if, if our only words and only action tonight were going to fall uh, on my shoulders. So this is what we're going to do, if you'll buy in with me. Uh, if you'll find three or four other people to get with, tonight, tonight we are going to pray that God would bring individuals to himself. We would pray that not the church or that mission team or that group would serve on mission. We would pray that each of us individually would take advantage of the opportunities that we have every single day to reach people for Jesus. And what we're going to do, each person is going to pray for those in their group by name. And I want you to pray for one person, one person that you know is lost and far from God, that you have an opportunity to engage with the gospel. One person by name. I want you to share that name with the rest of the group. And that rest of the group, I want you to take that name and I want you to pray for that name. This week, as long as you want to pray for it, but at least this week. We have to start on our knees before God asking that he would transform lives. And then we have to go and act on it, encouraging one another, serving together in order for those people to respond in obedience. When you're finished, you're excused, or you can fellowship or whatever you need to do. But for the next couple of minutes, let's gather up in those groups of four or five, praying by name for each person to have the boldness and the wherewithal to share the gospel and also praying by name for the one person that you would have a conviction for. In about 10 minutes, I'm going to pray for all of us to close and we'll be finished for the evening.